0: Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yussi. And I'm Tobias. Join us
1: for a journey in the cloud. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. My name is Tobias Zimmergren, and I'm back today with Yussi Roine. What's up, my friend?
0: Hey, Toby all good here, waiting for Christmas. Uh, no snow in Helsinki. I'm immensely happy whenever we don't have any snow, because I know it's coming at, at some point. Uh, but what's up with me, my last day at Microsoft is next week. So I've been there a year now. And, and I know for a lot of people who join Microsoft, they stick around for 20 years, and they might scoff at me, oh, you, you only lasted for a year. And when I joined late 2019, I felt that, okay, let's do this. And the role I had, and I still have, at least until the end of next week, is super interesting. But while I was working there, I figured perhaps it's still something else that I want to do. So I promised myself that I'll give it a year and see if, if my own thoughts evolve or if, if my thinking, thinking changes and a couple of months ago i figured okay this is not the place where i want to want to do the things that i set out to do and i did search uh, internally and as you know microsoft has this careers page and when you log in there you can you can browse both internally and externally all of the available open open positions and roles so i did spend time talking uh with a lot of managers on those but at the end of the day i figured no the thing i need to accomplish in my life still is is someplace else. So next week I'll drop off my laptop, my badge, and working from home, that's that's really only, only thing you need to drop off. And then taking a couple of weeks of holidays and hopefully in
1: January everything is set up and, and I can talk a bit more about what's next. All right. That sounds exciting. So on, on my side, I'm you know this is something you got me into some kind of trouble here because Not too long ago, you and I had a talk about uh, tablets and getting an extra device. So I I managed to buy S7 Plus, which is a Samsung tablet. And now I have the Samsung Gear, which is a watch. It's several years old. I have my Galaxy S10 phone, which is also a few years. Uh, And now the tablet, which is the Samsung tablet or Tab S7 Plus, they work very well together. So I'm going to write up a review about those. I use it as a secondary monitor. And because it's an AMOLED screen, it's amazing. It's a 120 hertz screen, which is superb. I have no issues with it. It comes with one of those stylus pens, so I can actually make pretty good notes and it's touch sensitive. So if I press the pen harder, it, it becomes a thicker line when I draw. So I've already kind of annotated and, and done a couple of diagrams for, for work that I use it for. And also, I, I'm, which I think I mentioned in a previous episode, I'm doing like workout on my bike at home. And then I use something called Swift. So I can also now ride with Swift on the tablet instead of connecting my laptops and, and have wires all over the place. So I'm going to write up a more professional kind of review. So how how to use this tablet in an everyday life. And so far it's helping me a lot because I can easily move around the house and from my tablet, just connect to whatever service I need or Whatever I need when I jump on meetings, I have Teams, I have Zoom, I have whatever installed on the tablet as well. So no real cool update. It's just pro- productivity enhancer. I have not had a tablet for a long time. I decided it was time to give it a, a shot again, and I I like it. It is a lot more mature today than the last time I had a tablet.
0: I <clears throat> I had the, uh, the first Samsung Galaxy tablet. I think that was in. 2009 perhaps. Can't even recall uh, the size. It was maybe seven inch. That was the time when phones were four inch displays. And I really liked it at the time. And ever since then, I've been sort of thinking of getting a Samsung tablet again. And and when the S7 and, and S7 Plus came out, I spent a couple of weeks just going through the specs and thinking, yeah, yeah, I should get this. I wasn't sure if it would be something that I would really need, is it more of a want or a need? But I'm anxious to, to read your upcoming blog post on that because if I can see, okay, there really is a need for it, I will definitely get the same one. Yeah. Alrighty. so today, Azure updates. Again, so there's so many updates coming for Azure and as has been a custom for a couple of months now, we go through on the more interesting, the more relevant ones. And this is not to say that some updates are not relevant, but they might be so specific that if you are waiting for this thing to happen, you've already sort of found out about the update. So so we highlighted a couple of interesting updates each, and perhaps I'll warm up with with one of the easier ones. And, And that's a sad, sad update. Azure portal, will end support for Internet Explorer 11 <laughs> on March 31st, 2021.
1: Oh, well, <laughs> what can I, you do, right? The, yeah, I think it's, it's a long time coming. Time. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I, I had a time. discussion time. I had a discussion with someone recently, and they claimed that Internet Explorer 11, or whatever version they, they were on, was the only thing they could use in their corporate landscape. So they used it for everything. And and could not have multi-browser, and they are missing out on so many things that does not work, and not to say the like the security issues that comes with an old browser. So this is only a good thing in my
0: eyes. I, I think so too, and I I, I I will openly admit I haven't used IE eleven in years. I can't even recall when it came out initially, but I I haven't used IE ten or nine either. Uh, I do have one super old. Uh, virtual machine running on VMware locally and I did spin that up once a couple of weeks ago to see if I can actually finally get rid of that and it is running uh, Windows 2003 server and I nice. think it has <laughs> IE 5.5 and the great thing about that is that it doesn't have tabs so when you <laughs> open something you you hit Control t nothing happens and you're like oh yeah I, I have to click Control n to open a new window, and suddenly you have eleven windows open, and you start hating your life. So yes, if you are still on IE eleven, do something about it now.
1: Yeah, all right. So that's on the on the Azure trial in the in the Azure portal trial. I will follow there. I, I have an update about Azure Security Center that I like, and there's actually several new things coming out here. One is the, the preview of twenty nine. Uh, new recommendations added to increase the coverage of Azure security benchmark. So this is something that keeps growing um, and and this benchmark, so you can kind of compare um, toward the industry, how you're uh, doing with your secure score and your security in, in your security center, which is a pretty cool thing. There's now 29 new preview recommendations coming out. So they are in preview. So, you know, with all the considerations that mean. Another thing related to that is uh, NIST SP-800-171-R2. If this tells you something, um, that means you're probably working with regulatory compliance. And there's now an enhancement to the uh, security center's security compliance dashboard or the the regulatory compliance dashboard to include this uh, standard as well. So that is the the NIST SP-800-171-R2. Recommendations uh, can now be filtered. In security center which is something that i kind of missed uh, so you can now go into the ui and you can say i want to filter my recommendations on this or this type or this thing and and the ui will kind of update on that and another thing that i really like that i have worked uh, programmatically a bit with as well uh, which is now in preview is secure score now can be continuously exported so i've done that programmatically in various ways through apis but now you can go to the portal and say from security center, continuously export my my secure score into this format, into this storage destination. Then you can do whatever you want with it and it will continuously export. And then you can pull this into Power BI or whatever you want to kind of get a a sense of the trends and how how things are going over time. Yeah, so I, I really like that. Those are like my key announcements for the Azure security center that's coming up. So what's next? Uh,
0: next up is app service logs. So anything that powers your web apps and API apps and, and functions uh, now support antivirus logs as well. So if you have Microsoft Defender, it works in Windows and Linux now, uh, you, can, you can export those antivirus logs as part of the app service logs to a storage account. And the idea here is that instead of going through individually to all of the all of the app services and figuring out so what's the what's the antivirus status here, you can now combine all of those logs into a storage account and then react based on, on what you can find from there. And there's there's a couple of limitations because this is in preview. So you can only do scan once a day and there's no setting to change this to anything else. And it's also limited up to one gigabyte of content per web app and up to 10,000 files per web app. And if you have more than one gig of content or more than 10,000 files, it won't do the scan at all. So it's not up to, it's, it's a hard limit. If you have more, it doesn't work. I think this is for preview because it was specifically highlighted in the, in the notes for this. And by the way, everything we are talking in this episode, we'll add the links in the show notes.
1: So so this thing, is this something you then go to the portal or use to CLI or something and say enable antivirus logs, or is this like by default enable?
0: Uh, you go to the portal, and, and when you configure the logs, uh, there should be a new checkbox, antivirus logs as well, please. And it will then drop those into storage account. And then it's up to you to figure out what to do with those logs.
1: Yeah, nice. Uh, right, so so the next one on, on my side is Azure Storage Blob Inventory Public Preview. So again, another preview. Uh, and this gives you an overview of the blob data inside of a storage account. So you can use the inventory report to understand the total data size, age of the data, encryption status of your data, and more. So you can kind of enable blob inventory reports by adding policies to your storage accounts and say that this storage account should be covered by that. And then you get an inventory report um, and you can add or remove or edit policies using, for example, the Azure portal. Uh, and then a new inventory report can be generated automatically, for example, daily. So that means you, you get better insights into what you have across your storage accounts in your blobs. And because you can do it using policies, you can kind of push this out at scale as well. And I think this is important because just as I do in a lot of our production storage accounts, we have a lot of blob data in various formats and you know, various data types. One thing that is difficult is to kind of iterate over that and get a sense of what data we have, how much data we have, and how it's stored. And just like I mentioned here, like what is the age of that data? How old is it? Is it something we can kind of discard or move to archives or stuff like that? And with an inventory report, we can get some of those numbers automatically. And instead of kind of building our own proprietary type of solution on top of Azure to do that for us, we can now... Uh, rely at least to some part on the Azure storage blob inventory. So again, public preview, you can try it out right now in your own Azure accounts. So go go try that out. I think it's really cool. I think it's beneficial, especially if you have a lot of data across Azure storage accounts that are stored in various types and blobs.
0: This reminds me of something that happened this morning. Uh, a couple of years ago, I migrated away from Dropbox. So I had all of my personal files in Dropbox and I figured, okay, perhaps it's time to give OneDrive for Business uh, a fair chance now. And just today I was thinking, do I still have any uh, storage space left? Can I add more files to my OneDrive for Business? So on Windows, when you click the small icon in System Tray, uh, it gives you the menu. And one of those items on the menu is... uh, I think it's called storage options or show storage or something like this. I click on that and what happens? It opens a browser window, goes to OneDrive, which which is built on top of SharePoint, and it goes to the old underscore layouts and opens the storeman.aspx page, which I think is from 1992 or so. (laughs) And now when I'm seeing these sort of inventions happening in Azure Storage Blob, I'm sort of secretly hoping that perhaps somebody would update that view as well. So next up, uh, something uh, super nice, uh, especially for for you and me, because we, we live in the Nordics, there's a new Azure region announced in Denmark, and that will be powered by renewable energy. And interestingly, Microsoft added a skilling commitment. So while they're building this new region, meaning Azure data centers, they will also commit uh, to skill up, upskill uh, Danish people uh, by 2024 up to 200,000 people on modern cloud technologies. I think that would in- involve security, uh, development, and IT pro aspects. Uh, and I hope that that we'll see this in the next year or two, because then that would mean that we'd have a region in Denmark and that would be the closest to Finland especially because now we often use the one in, in Ireland or the one in the Netherlands which are really good but I feel that Denmark would be so much closer that especially the latency would be lower.
1: Yeah, and and that's also great news for, for me and my personal projects because I'm based in Malmö which is in the southern tip of Sweden and, and it takes me about 12 minutes to jump in the car and drive over to Denmark. Uh, so a data center there is is obviously gonna bring pretty low latencies for, for my own deployments, which are non-production deployments. Uh, but we are getting one outside of Malmö as well in in um, an area called Staffanstorp. So we, we are getting a Swedish data center. And I guess when that is deployed, that might be slightly closer to Finland than the, the Denmark one.
0: That could be, I, I think uh, geographically it's closer, but I'm not entirely sure how the connectivity goes it, it goes sea from south finland to south sweden that i do know but i think we also have connectivity to denmark the same through the same route so the Malmo one might be something that's a bit more closer
1: yeah i don't think it's going to show on the latency though because the the distances that the data centers are distributed and the low latency we see be- between data centers. You know, these data centers will be really close. So I don't think it matters. Yeah, I'm actually already waiting for that. So what's next? So another thing that I find interesting is, um, I mean, both November and December has been a lot of updates on the Azure side. <clears throat> so I've tried to pick the, the most interesting ones, which are not obvious, because the most obvious ones are probably things everyone already know about. So one thing that I found is export and manage Azure policy as code with GitHub. Um, And I'm talking about that because I I talked about that in a previous episode and I also wrote some blog posts about managing Azure policies using Visual Studio code and stuff like that. Um, Now you can use Azure policy as code uh, with GitHub and you can export policy definitions and assignments to GitHub. And you can push policy objects updated in your GitHub directly to Azure. So you get this kind of workflow you can collaborate and, and review and do PRs and whatever you want on GitHub if if you want to use that as your uh, workflow in your DevOps or DevSecOps process. Uh, and then you can push from uh, GitHub then back to, to Azure and also trigger compliance scanning from uh, GitHub Actions. So this is, uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool uh, thing. It's also in preview. Uh, a lot of the things I mentioned today are in, in preview, but they are... What I think, at least, is the most exciting ones um, things to to keep an eye out on. So again, if you work with regulatory compliance, if you work with uh, Azure policy, and you're you're kind of pushing out new policies, and you know, if if you're doing this at scale, things can become difficult to manage. So I think this is again another step in the right direction to simplify the management and simplify how you build and collaborate uh, on setting these policies up. So export and manage Azure policy as code with GitHub in preview. I really like the angle that GitHub is is so closely aligned now
0: with plenty of the updates that Azure is, is receiving. And while we are recording this, this is also the same week when GitHub's own yearly event, GitHub Universe, is taking place. I think today is the last day for that. And there's plenty of announcements, perhaps more aligned for GitHub itself, but what I felt was was the, the the biggest announcement for me is that you can now go into your GitHub profile and you can change the theme to our dark theme, meaning it's mm. more pleasing to your eyes.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a pretty tough discussion. This is like the browser wars. Back yeah. in the day, if you were a Firefox user and, and versus a Chrome user, you know, or, or a Mac or a PC, you know, all these traditional discussions. And I see exactly the same with dark versus light mode or whatever in between you use. I use both. Uh, on GitHub, I definitely like the light one, the normal default theme, because the dark one, I mean, if you're coding at night and you're spending a lot of uh, dark moments uh, you know, in front of the screen, that makes sense. But when I work, it's most of the time bright light outside. I have the sun maybe shining and you know, it's looking at a dark monitor then just makes things harder to see. Um, yeah. So it, it's a preference, but uh, I like that they introduced it. So you have the choice. So you can just tick yeah. the box.
0: I'm seeing a lot of PowerPoint presentations nowadays being made on a dark theme. So the whole slide is 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 black by default, and then you add text which is of different color. And somebody said that the justification and the thinking there is that that that's how you would use, let's say, a chalkboard. It's black and you use a white, white chalk on it. But then I print something out. I'm, I'm so old that I still print stuff at times. And I print on a white paper with, with black text. And that's what I've been using for, for all of my life. So I, I think you need to decide on what setting for which setup works best for you. And I often flip between my windows might be on light theme. But next week, I feel, well, maybe the dark theme is nicer for now.
1: Yeah. I mean, when I do things late at night or very early morning mornings, especially now here in Scandinavia, it's pitch black, dark outside. It's, I cannot see a thing. And obviously, just turning all the lights on is not so nice. So what I do is I, uh, I switch to dark mode in those morning hours and the evening hours. Other than that, I I do the the normal light mode during daytime and that works very well for my eyes. But again, this is very individual and whatever works best for your eyes and and your brain, this is what you should do. Exactly.
0: So what's next on the updates is uh, Logic Apps updates. So there's plenty of updates, mostly for developers. So now you can develop locally on Linux and Mac using Visual Studio Code. You can also create custom connector extensions locally So meaning you can write your own connectors in code instead of defining those uh, directly in the portal. Uh, Built-in integration with application insights, which I feel is is great, because when you provision logic apps, it does ask, uh, would you like us to enable this? But now you have built-in integration when you're uh, developing and debugging those as well. Uh, Rendering of complex workflows, you you get this new layout. I think that was demoed in Ignite earlier this year. And now we're finally getting it. And then a bunch of super small changes for developers mostly. Uh, but we have the link in the show notes if you want to have a look at those. But usually what I see is that developers open VS Code or Visual Studio, they update the SDK, they see some updates and they go, oh, okay, this is nice, let's, let's move on.
1: Nice. So I think um, on my side, I have one more update Um, for this episode that I think is interesting. And um, this is in GA, so generally available. This is something you can make use of right now. Um, You get more IOPS at no additional cost for Azure Files Premium. And I want to highlight that because I've worked a lot with Azure Files um, as file shares. I've connected them to Azure Container Instances and to other workloads we had running. And I really needed quick file I.O and it's not quick with Azure files. Um, even on the premium tier, um, it's worse than just a managed SSD disk that you can attach to a VM or, or to an AKS cluster. So with Azure container instances, we had a limitation where we couldn't attach a managed disk, but we can attach Azure files. So it's a good update that the Azure files premium now have uh, you know, better IOPS at no additional cost. So yeah, again, I, I had plenty of limitations when processing a lot of file IO uh, because when, when you do both read and write intensively, uh, you know, you're kind of hugging the pipe and it slows down quickly. So what they announced now is um, with this increased IOPS, the baseline adds another 400 IOPS for free. And if you go into Azure Files and you create a new file share, you might know or might not know, but this is good to know. If you create a larger file share, you pay more but you also get higher speeds. So if you create a a two gigabyte file share or five gigabyte or whatever it is, 100 gigs, which is fairly small, you get a fairly low IOPS. So you cannot do high intensity uh, processing on that. But if you create a five terabyte file share, you get a lot more IOPS, exponentially a lot more. So you can actually hammer it a lot more, but the cost is also flying out the window. So that's something to keep in mind. And now with the 400 additional IOPS for free on the baseline, you kind of get an added benefit on that. So perhaps a way to increase adoption of Azure files as file shares, Uh, but one of the limitations for me was uh, like file IO throttling. I couldn't process things in the speed that I needed over the file shares. Now I'm still not there, but it's getting me in the right direction. But again, if you create a five terabyte file share And even if you only need two gigs, if you create that size, it will be a lot quicker, but the cost will also exponentially grow. So, you know, the the update is more IOPS at no additional cost for Azure Files Premium. But the tip is, think about the file share size because that will directly impact your cost. End of message.
0: (laughs) I always love when we get something for free. And the IOPS, I think, both in on-premises and in the cloud, it's always something that you sort of hope that, could I get a little bit more just in case? Because if I need to scale, I'd love to have enough IO operations per second. And it feels that whatever they're giving you might not be enough. Uh, one last one from me, and I think I saved the best for last. Uh, a new product is now in preview. It's called Azure Purview. And it provides unified data governance And again, I openly admit I haven't deployed this yet. It's fairly new. I did have a look at the documentation. It seems fairly straightforward. The idea is that it can do data discovery, sensitive data classification, and end-to-end data lineage. And the idea here is that you might have a lot of data in databases, file shares, virtual machines, both in on-prem, in the cloud, perhaps on the edge network as well. And Azure Purview is a product that allows you to scan, meaning discover these files, and then do the data classification based on their sensitivity, and then have this sort of audit trail. Where did this data come from and what's happened to that since then? And I know that we've had similar features Uh, since I think 2007 with uh, on-premises SharePoint. And in the cloud, there's plenty of different options for this as well in Office 365. But this is on the Azure side. And what it requires is a data lake or Azure SQL for storage, but it also requires Azure Security Center to do the data labeling. And how it works is that you provision the service in Azure portal and you get a starter kit, which is a PowerShell script. And you run that; it does the discovery for you, and updates and, and uploads that metadata it can find to your data storage, and then it uses Azure Security Center to label those. And it gives you this uh, what Microsoft calls a holistic map of the data landscape. And it looks quite nice because then you can do a search: that where can we find this document? Perhaps the title of the document, or contents of the document, or or the, um, the label of the document, and it will show you a list of all of those. So it feels really preview in the sense that I feel it, it sort of oversteps to what SharePoint and Office 365 traditionally has been doing, but now it's on Azure side. And I think this is yet another product to manage your data. And you have so many now, that this is perhaps something to look into and then figure out how this fits your needs once this comes out from preview. All
1: right. And yeah, that, that sounds pretty interesting. It's... Yeah. Um, yeah I like this idea of, of discovering the data and classifying the data with sensitive, sensitive data. And yeah, I, I didn't know about that. I'll definitely check this out. Something that I think I have a production use case for as well.
0: I initially saw a tweet on this, and it said, Azure... Preview. And I was like, well, I know Azure has previews, but is this something else? And it was a, perhaps a typo from somebody, perhaps autocomplete changed that. And it's per view, P-U-R view. Uh, and I think this is based on something we already had back in the day with the data discovery. And now it's renamed and sort of re-envisioned to be more enterprise approachable in that sense. Uh, so this is definitely something that, that we'll need to do an episode in the future. Once we sort of try this out on on-prem and in the cloud to see how the script works and how it actually classifies different sort of documents and data that you might have. Sounds good. Alrighty, that was all. Uh, a lot of updates. We have all the links in the show notes. And uh, I think this was it. Thanks for tuning in and until next time.